want to make sure I can see Floyd over here. Is he sleeping or not? <laughs> Praying. There he goes. All right. Well, let me be the first to say Merry Christmas before it's Christmas. Now, some of you probably already said that to folks that you work with or perhaps neighbors just had a guy come walking by, hadn't walked by, and I hadn't seen him walk by in about a year and a half. And uh, so... I, we had a good talk, so again, I talked to him about the, the Lord. He claims to know the Lord. He's Catholic, but claims that he knows the Lord, but uh, lives down the road. <clears throat> I invited him to come to our service and even the thing on this evening over at the Ware Bible Baptist, but he's got other plans at this point, but a uh, good chance to renew. He remembered that I had talked about my son Nathan becoming a police officer. He wanted to know what the status of that was. I said, well, you can use his name. I said, he's Officer Rush here in Hopkinton. So uh, he was thankful for that. Um, but there's opportunities that we have to share Christ with others around this time of Christmas. I hope you're taking those opportunities and not backing down from any of them. I typically, the day before Christmas, the last one or two days at work, I go around telling everybody to read the true Christmas story, Matthew 1, Luke chapter 2. I tell them to skip the genealogies in Matthew 1 because you'll get bogged down. But uh, so I'm, I had three people write that down this year. I mean, I was like, whoa, I don't know if they're really going to do it or not, but they wrote it. They wrote it down on a piece of paper. One of them, one of them wrote it on one of his gloves that he had on his hand. Uh, so, hey, and a couple of those are managers. So those opportunities there, just uh, make, make sure that you're taking those opportunities as you have and the Lord provides them. Well, it's hard to believe it's Christmas already here in 2023. Um, I hope you're all shopped up at this point, shopped out, I should say, at this point. Uh, you're probably not going to go to the store today, but uh, you, you could, I guess, possibly. There's some that are still open. But uh, it's always amazing to me at, at Christmas time, you fight the crowds, you fight the traffic, right? Uh, maybe a little less now than we used to because most people are buying things online, right? I mean, we have, we have things delivered to our house all the time because some of my kids and my extended family, uh, Todd and Kathy's kids, have used our house sort of as the, uh, the drop-off point, right? Even some that are supposed to be delivered to 194 across the road from us are delivered to our house because they don't want to drive up that long driveway and we make sure it gets over there. Some of them know that and we do and we deliver it. So we're constantly having, I mean, I think Linda said at one point there was one day that we had five different delivery people throughout the day delivering multiple packages to our house in that one day. Even last night when I was studying for this message, I had three delivered. <laughs> All in one, one driver, but he was coming late. And I said to him, wow, you're probably bringing Christmas joy to people that you're giving these last last gifts to at the end of the time. I don't know. They're probably still being delivered today, no doubt. Um, it's a, kind of a change in, in the culture than, uh, than what we're used to. But less traffic anyway out there at the stores if you have to do some last-minute shopping. Um, but I don't know about you, but I always... Like looking back, my, my uncle had one of those reel-to-reel cameras. I know my in-laws also had one, and maybe some of you also had one. And uh, you still have some of those reel-to-reel uh, pictures. Uh, we don't have to worry about that today. It's pretty simple, right? Uh, you just uh, can watch things on. I mean, we have stuff on videotape, and that, that's becoming outdated now, right? Uh, even DVDs are becoming outdated. That's all electronic now. Everything's electronic. Re the drives are you're actually on. You know, things saved, and you can watch maybe past Christmases. But if you had those reel-to-reel, -reel, it was always interesting because I remember there was always that shuddering that took place. You never knew when that was going to start happening, right? And the, and the flickering. And then the worst-case scenario was when the bulb went out and you didn't have a spare bulb. You're done. Right? There was no more fixing it at that point. Um, 
my uncle would show us uh, many of ones that he had, and of course we were in a lot of those, even though we just lived right down the road. We weren't part of this family, but I mean, my da my dad was the youngest, and my my uncle was the oldest in the family, and uh, of the of the eight children that my grandparents had, and uh, and so they both lived close to the homestead there, and uh, so we got together quite regularly time together so we were in a lot of those those videos uh, it's always interesting to look back at those things but always challenged at this time of the year uh, it was it's challenging whenever you you're given the task to, to preach on a Christmas before Sunday because there probably hasn't been a message from a passage within the Christmas story that you haven't heard multiple messages of I'm probably looking at people that have heard over 50 Christmas messages and maybe multiples during a Christmas season. Because sometimes during the Advent, a pastor will take like, you know, four or five Sundays in a row and preach a Christmas message every Sunday. Uh, so I'm sure that you've had that experience before, too. So I'm certainly not going to say anything new today that you have not already heard or read multiple times. But my goal today is to challenge us with a renewed effort to look with fresh eyes on these so familiar Christmas scenes that were filled with gratitude as we are reminded that the greatest gift that came from the greatest place to accomplish the greatest rescue according to the will of the greatest God. titled our message this morning, The Greatest Christmas of All Time. The Greatest Christmas of All Time. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin there. I don't know about you, but I often think about, what's it going to be like when we get to heaven? I mean, we're going to have time. We're going to be worshiping God, and we're going to be praising and singing praises. But you kind of wonder, is it possible that God would allow us the opportunity, maybe room one and room two and room three. In room one, you got the creation story, and you can sit in there and you can watch it happen the way it really happened. I mean, nothing is too hard for God. He could do that. I mean, we're not, I'm, I'm, I'm fancifying here. I mean, I, we don't know that that's what's going to happen, but wouldn't it be neat if that would, would be the opportunity that we would have? Get in room one and just enjoy that creation story. Maybe, you know, in there with some friends, but then later on you want to come back and enjoy some with other friends. You know how that is. You know, there's always those Christmas carol, the Christmas movies that we watch over and over and over and over again. I don't know why we keep watching them. If nothing different is going to happen. I mean, you can quote them, right? We have trivia questions about all these things that happen. But, you know, if we get to heaven and we're able to watch the creation story over and over again, I guarantee you're going to see things that, you didn't see the first time. <laughs> You're going to see things you didn't see the second time, the third time, fourth time. However many times you get the chance to watch them. I mean, I would like to see the flood take place. I mean, I'm not thrilled about the fact that all those people and all those animals had to die. But what an amazing event that took place that, that changed the world, right? Um, Adam and Eve in the garden or perhaps even other events like Easter. In that celebration, but certainly the Christmas story would be probably the number one best all-selling hit, right? <laughs> the best of all time. That 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 room would be flooded with people, as it were, right? Um, wanting to see these events as they really happen. You know, when when you're when somebody tells you a story about something. And in your mind's eye, you're, you, you're thinking it through, and you're trying to envision what's going on. I, my my in-laws used to talk about, or my wife used to talk about, uh, their family going backpacking out in Montana. And I used to envision that. For the longest time, I envisioned it as I heard about it. But it was a totally different thing when we actually went out there in those same locations and we actually backpacked and enjoyed that. It was 
different. I mean, it wasn't how I envisioned it. And I think this is the way it is sometimes when we're, when we're faced here with these, with these true events that took place. We envision them the best we can from the wording that we have, and this is what God has inscripturated. This is what God is, this is all of what God wanted us to know. I mean, there was no little drummer boy. There was no innkeeper, okay? So I hate to shake your, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, did the angels sing or did they chant? We don't know. It doesn't say they sung. I can envision them singing. I probably think that that's probably how it happened, but it doesn't say they sung, okay? <laughs> uh, there's so many things that we that we have put into our minds about how it probably happened, and little things kind of occur that causes us to think that direction, or somebody suggests it, and then our mind runs that way, but how was it really? We don't know. We just know that we have factual events that took place, recorded, even as Pastor Barnes mentioned last, was it last week, he talked about the fact that Luke wrote probably, maybe from, I mean, we don't know for sure, <laughs> but it's very possible that he got his information straight from Mary. It's very possible. That's, that's a good probability. He certainly got it from eyewitnesses. Whether Mary was one of them or not, we don't know. But some of these things, you would think she was the only one really that could have explained that that way. So, so yeah, we have them from eyewitnesses, but we, we're limited because we can't be there to experience and feel. I mean, what would it have been like to be with the shepherds when God's glory was shining all around them? That's an experience, I guarantee you, those shepherds were changed. There is no question in my mind. They did not look at life the same way after that experience when God's glory came and that announcement came to them. So there are so many things that, we, that I wish we could, we could involve, get involved, we could be there, we could have seen it. We see it in our mind's eye, but totally different when you're actually there experiencing what took place. So I want us to look at the Christmas story going scene by scene, you might say, all right? Scene one, and then we'll go to scene two, and we have about, we have, there, there could be many scenes here, all right? Scene one, act one, you know, we could really get down to, to nitty gritty here. But uh, as I was thinking about this, you know, uh, we'll cover as much ground as we can. Um, but again, renew our minds with these facts to give us a sense of gratitude for what God has done when he sent his son to be the savior of the world. So let's look here in Luke chapter one, first at the announcement, the annunciation it is, is often referred to as, and then we'll also look in Matthew chapter one. Really another kind of annunciation, but to Joseph in the sense that it's more of an explanation because, boy, didn't he need it, all right? So we'll look at, first of all, Mary in the annunciation. Gabriel visits Mary. There's only two named angels in the Bible, and Clarence isn't one of them, by the way. So in case you were wondering. Uh, but uh, Gabriel and Michael, only two named angels in the Bible. And Gabriel is the one who's giving announcements. Uh, it seems. We don't know, we're going to see it in a second, we don't know that he was the one that came to Joseph. We kind of assume it, perhaps. It was an angel of the Lord, um, an angel from God, but he's not named that, that came to Joseph. Um, but we know Gabriel is the one who comes to Mary. So let's read um, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 quickly. In the sixth month, and that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, just so you don't think it's the sixth month on the calendar. That was Elizabeth. We're jumping into the into the context here, so I'm giving the context. The sixth month that Elizabeth was pregnant, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph 
of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. First time that that name has been given to anyone at this point. And he, was be, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, a certain there is a certain contrast here. I think Pastor Barnes may have brought this part of it out. A contrast between Mary's reaction to an angel's visit and, and, and Zacharias' reaction to the angel's visit. Zacharias did not believe, and therefore the sign that was given to him was not what he expected as a sign, but he was not going to be able to speak because he did not really believe that God was going to do what he was telling him by the angel. But Mary's reaction is not the same. It's not that Mary doesn't believe. She believed. She wanted to know a little more detail. How is this going to happen? We know, she knew, the general way a person becomes pregnant. And she knows that that's not possible for her. So how is it going to be possible? So we would say she's just, she's just asking for more details, right? She's asking for more details on, explana on the explanation. She is ask asking for procedural verification, you might say, right? How is this going to happen? I think it's also interesting the fact and, and we contrast Mary and Elizabeth because they're showing up here in the same passage. Here's Elizabeth, and she's under the shame and reproach, as it were, at least this is the way that they, they, they thought of it. When a person, when a, when a woman was not able to bear a child, she's under shame and reproach. It's even mentioned in the Old Testament um, that that was a shame and reproach. I think when Rachel finally uh, came to bear a son, um, after Leah had already bear, bore a couple of sons, right, to, to uh, I, Isaac, Isaac, right, Jacob, Jacob, <laughs> all right, so uh, already had a couple of sons through her sister, but now Rachel bears a son, and now her shame and reproach is taken away, the scripture talks about, or that's the way she looked at it, so that was carried through down. Uh, that was what was thought about among the Jews that, hey, if, you, if you're not able, if you're barren, there's a, there's, there's a problem. There's a reason. And Elizabeth had shame and reproach because she couldn't have a child or she, it was her shame and reproach was taken away because she had a child in her older age. Contrast that with Mary. Mary's shame and reproach just now begins because now she has a child and there is no father, at least not one that anybody knows about. I mean, can you imagine the shame and reproach that Mary was under for years? Even though Joseph took her because he was given that command by God to take her, Certainly there were relatives that had questions in their mind because Joseph wasn't the father because he was ready to put her away. He was ready to put her away secretly. He had that opportunity to give her a bill of divorcement and put her away. 
not make a public example of her as he could have. I mean, so much so that, I mean, that was worthy of death. Right? Stoning. Unfaithfulness. I mean, they weren't married yet, but the betrothal period for the Jews, that was marriage. I mean, if there was, and it lasted almost a year sometimes. So during that year, if there was unfaithfulness, that was worthy of stoning, according to the law. So Joseph, he, he's willing to set her aside. But even though Joseph had that in his mind, he was told directly by God what was going on. And he, need, he needed that. But Mary and everybody else, they were going to have to take Mary's word that this was from God. I mean, how much would she be able to explain? I mean, would she try to explain this? <laughs> I mean, or would she just keep silent? We don't know. We don't know what she did. We don't know where else. But it's interesting, and maybe we've heard this before, um, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding in Cana. And Jesus was there, and so was Mary. So, it, so you, you can almost sur surmise that this is a relative because they are both there at this wedding. And these weddings took a long period of time. And you remember there was they, they were without uh, the wine that they were drinking, right? They had run out or were about ready to run out. And, G and Mary's like... Uh, can, can you reveal yourself now? <laughs> Maybe this would be a good time. Uh, and so, and you wonder whether Mary was thinking, this would be a good time because there's a lot of relatives here. And uh, if you do something incredible, they're going to know I was faithful. I wasn't, I, I, I didn't have, I wasn't really one that was an adulterer. Because the suspicions, no doubt, was still hanging over her. So perhaps this is the reason why she said what she said. And he said, of course, he said, it's not my time yet. But he then he does produce a miracle. And though maybe many of them did not know that it was Jesus that did it, he didn't reveal himself. Mary wanted him to um, at that particular time, probably for vindication uh, in front of relatives. All right. So, um, so Mary is innocent. Her testimony is that of innocency, and she indeed was faithful to Joseph. Um, I think there is an example here Mary is giving us. So indeed, we ought to be willing to believe God with unfavoring faith what God has said. So Mary has that. She is she's she's believing God is going to do it. She wants a little explanation on how it's going to happen. But she's actually believing God. Though she's troubled, all right, at the beginning. I mean, who wouldn't be troubled if an angel showed up to you? I mean, this it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen to everybody anytime. For years this doesn't happen, right? Angels just don't show up. Um now Paul talks about the fact that, I mean, it could be that we entertain sometimes angels unawares. We don't know. <laughs> That's possible. Um, but for, for our knowledge, we are not, you know, I'm not looking for an angel to show up today at my house or any time this next year. That's just not what I'm expecting. And certainly Mary was not expecting uh, that to happen. But that we would take, Mary's example, and indeed believe with unwavering faith what God has said. Truly, when that which seems impossible is looming, always remember the God of the impossible is our God. And I mean, I mean, here's what here's what, and and, and then the angel brings that up to Mary here, right? In the context here, sometimes we just like read it over, but we don't grasp it look down there in verse 37 for nothing will be impossible with god now he says that in context of elizabeth but he's also no doubt talking about in context of mary hey if elizabeth can have a son do you think that anything is impossible for god nothing is impossible for god 
And that's our God, folks. The same God that was back there who did those things is the same God today. He hasn't changed. He hasn't become less of an impossible, of an impossible God. Right? Um, sometimes uh, when you read about things that have taken place, I read, you read missionary biographies, even things, you know, people like George Mueller, um, who had those orphanages, and Mueller, when you read about all the blessings that came to him as he labored in prayer to that God, and how that God sometimes would stop a truck that contained milk in front of their house with a flat tire. There's no possible way of getting rid of this milk other than giving it to the orphans because it's going to spoil. I mean, I don't know, it was a flat tire. There was something happened to the truck. I mean, they, they sat down to pray sometimes. You read about what they said. And they have no food on their plates. And they're thanking God for the food. And he brings it. Same time. This is, this is our God. Same God. He is the God of the impossible. And we still serve him. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 20. It's a cross-reference here. The Bible says this, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. That's the King James. Listen to the ESV. I think it's going to help you understand that a little more fluently. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God's yes, his yea, is through Jesus. He is the one. He's the fulfillment. He's the one. All the promises of God are in him. Yes. And we can say amen. We can, see, we can say, let it be so, God. For your glory, through Jesus, we can believe this. This is Jesus Christ. He is the God of the impossible. Secondly, we see the angel of the Lord visits Joseph. This is sort of explanation. Look over to Matthew chapter 1. We have to go back to Matthew for this account. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 18 really starts, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. There are five references to the virgin birth in this passage that are undeniable. At least five. There may be others. If you look back just one or two, uh, two verses back to verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, he's going down through the genealogy. All right, starts with Jesus as the son of David, then he jumps back to Abraham and begins with Abraham and brings a genealogy all the way up to Joseph. And Jacob is the father of Joseph, and then he says this, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. Make no mistake about it, in the Greek, that of whom is feminine. It's not masculine. It does not refer to Joseph. It's feminine. It refers to Mary. There's the first hint of the virgin birth there. Then we have the next one here. Before they came together in verse, in verse 18, as we just read. And Joseph, being a just man, I'll point him out as we, we come to them. And, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, verse 19, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. There's number three. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place with what was fulfilled by all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, there's some question as to whether or not the angel is still speaking here. I think he is. The angel is speaking, and he is 
Sometimes the wording, the way it's translated, it sounds like Matthew's inserting this as a commentary. But I think more so, I think the, 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 the more uh, viable approach is that the angel is still speaking, and the angel is quoting from the Old Testament. All this took place, uh, all, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, the virgin. Right? There's a definite article there, okay, um, in the Old Testament. And, and it's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The definite article is there. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and here's the third one. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So there's an obedience that he, he acts in obedience. He calls his name Jesus. But, and, and again, this has now been two times that God has given specific instruction through Gabriel, and now through this other angel, perhaps Gabriel again, that this, son, this baby's name was going to be called Jesus. And we know, and you know, that that word means Jehovah saves. It's the same as the, it's equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua or Jeshua, right? It means Jehovah saves. But it's interesting that it's not just that Jehovah saves, but real specific, if you look in verse 21, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. Remember, it was a father who was going to name the son. Even though Gabriel told Mary what to call him, it was really the father, the perceived father. Right? He really wasn't the literal father, but he was, the, according to the law, he would be the one that would name this son, the, 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 the husband in the, in, the, uh, in the relationship. All right? And so he, he, he will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, that is a sort of a, a takeoff of the name Jesus. That's sort of like the translation of the name Jesus. But it's interesting that there's an extra pronoun in there. Because every Greek noun, verb, has a noun built already into it. Okay? Masculine, feminine, or neutral. The noun is already there. But if you put an extra pronoun in there, then you're calling attention to that. You're emphasizing. You're emphatic. So you could even translate it this way. He shall call, you shall call his name Jesus, for he it is, that baby, he it is who will save his people from their sins. He's being very emphatic here in, in, in the Greek language because of that extra pronoun that is put in there. So this baby is none other than Jehovah. Because he's the one that's going to save. He's the one that's going to provide salvation. All right, so the angel of the Lord visits Joseph. I didn't, I didn't mention this, but uh, my point on the first one that Gabriel visits Mary, this is the favor, the favor uh, to the humble displaying the grace of God. Remember Mary, she was... Very humble. She was called herself a handmaiden of the Lord. She had a humble approach. And that is displaying the grace of God in her life. And we see here, secondly, the fearlessness of the just. Remember Joseph? He was a righteous man. The fearlessness of the just. He was going to take Mary. Didn't, he didn't care at this point. Uh, he was told directly by God. He needed that. He knew he wasn't the father. So... The only thing he could think is that Mary was unfaithful. So he needed a direct message from God saying, no, she's faithful. Go ahead and receive her. Take her to your home. Take her to your side. Take her to yourself to be your wife. She's faithful. What's, what's in her is from God. And he is going to be the one that's going to save his people from their sins. But not only did the fearlessness talk about salvation here, but I... I say it displays the presence of God because this is where this word Emmanuel all of a sudden shows up. And again, it's from the Old Testament, but the word Emmanuel means God with us. And it's interesting 
and many commentators have commentated on this. Maybe you've read this already yourself or heard this. But Matthew begins with the presence of God in this name, Emmanuel. And how does Matthew close his gospel? With the Great Commission. And what is the promise? Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Many have commented on that, but that's a I think that's significant. Matthew begins his gospel with the presence of God, and he ends it with the presence of God also. All right, scene two. All right. Scene two, we have the journey to the chosen city. We don't need to read this passage. It was already read to us this morning, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We know this, this journey that took place was a fulfillment. This is my, my thoughts. All right? It was the fulfillment of the prophecy displaying the truth of God. The fulfillment of the prophecy displaying the truth of God. Um. Mary and Joseph, Nazareth, they're, they're, they're living in Nazareth. How are they going to get to Bethlehem? I mean, we know Micah tells, Micah tells us. Even the scribes and the chief priests knew this when the wise men finally came, probably as much as a year later. Okay, Brother Dan, I'm, we weren't at the manger scene. I know we got them over there, but move them over there, a little bit of time there. All right, so uh, they weren't at the manger, probably, uh, Definitely not, because they went to the house, and that wasn't a house. It was maybe a manger, and maybe it actually was a cave. We don't know. Maybe you've heard that. There's probably a good possibility that it was a cave where they kept the animals. Um, but in any case, uh, they, weren't at the theme, they weren't at the scene. But when that took place, when they went to Herod, Herod consulted with the chief priest, and the chief priest said, Bethlehem. That's where that Messiah is going to be born because we know Micah tells us that in the Old Testament. And so, um, but, but in order to get them to Bethlehem, all right, God had to do some incredible things. He had to put in the mind of somebody to do a census. And in doing a census, probably collect taxes. I mean, that's why sometimes it's translated as collect taxes and do a census, probably they were one and the same. We want to know who is where and who you are, and we want you to pay. <laughs> All right? So, but this, it, it just, there's, a, there's a lot of controversy about this first verse in Matthew chapter, the second verse in, Matthew, in, in Luke chapter 2, because this guy was not actually the governor of Syria at this point. And you'll have to read some explanations, some good explanations, a couple of good explanations of why he's called governor here. Uh, but he really wasn't governor at this particular time, at this at this particular moment. Um, perhaps it could be, maybe you have a note in your Bible that talks about it, that it was actually before he was governor. It says when, or some translations would translate it as before Quinarius or, um, uh, the King James puts it, um, but uh, before this guy was the governor of Syria, okay. So there's a couple good explanations there. We don't have to go. We don't have time to go into all that, but you can read about them. Um, don't let it shake you when somebody says uh, they got the time wrong here. Somebody's messed up. Uh, God's word isn't faithful. It's there. It's faithful. There's an answer. All right. Uh, so Joseph goes up to Galilee. So think about this, folks. All the world, all the known world at that time, is going to go through a census in order to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. I mean, that's a lot going on in the world just to get two people to the right place to fulfill a promise and a prophecy. But God is the God of the impossible. And he's able to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. He's to get him where he needs to get him. Um, and so, folks, when, when you know things come into our lives, even taxes, folks, I mean, can be a good thing. <laughs> Say it too loud. Um, but... Uh, there, there's a reason that this took place, that this taxation took place. It was in order to fulfill his prophecy from Micah to get them to Bethlehem. All right? Now, no room in the inn. All right? Did the innkeeper tell them that? Maybe. Or did they just discover it? Probably. <laughs> okay? 
They probably just discovered it. Remember, everybody's coming. Lots of places. They didn't have rooms in the inn. Room number one, here's your, you know, lock and they have keys back then? Probably not, right? Uh, so I, it's not like you got your, uh, your cards for the room number one, room number two, and all the rooms are full. They probably had this great big place where people were all sleeping. And it was pretty full. And you know what? If you're a, if you're a mother and you're about ready to give, baby, give birth to a baby, you don't want to be in there. <laughs> it's a lot of hubbub. A lot of people looking on. All right? So perhaps they went to the stable because that was quiet. That was out of the way. Gone to the limelight. Uh, but perhaps it was a picture of the fact that I mean, John says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. I mean, in chapter 1, John. John doesn't cover the Christmas story, but he kind of covers it real succinct. Maybe he's talking about that. There was no room in the inn. See, he came to his own people. His own people didn't want to receive him. But as many as received him, to those he gives the right to become the sons of God, even them believe in his name. Um, perhaps uh, there was a picture there. So somebody that makes that that application, I wouldn't take him to task on that application. Uh, John also mentions in 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. See how great the, um, where'd that go? Okay, so the, the, world, the, the world at large, all right, the general population of the Jews and others, don't want to receive Christ, and maybe that is the what's taking place there in that in that uh, mentioning of the fact that there was no place for them in the inn. Um, then we have, okay, so this was the fulfillment of prophecy displaying the truth of God. Scene two. Now we go to scene three, the birth announcement. We have the announcers, the angels. They were the ones that gave the faithful proclamation displaying the glory of God. You can't get away from the fact that God's glory is now being dis on display, and it, it's only to these shepherds. Now, the shepherds, there's a lot of talk about the shepherds. Are, were, was this the low class of society? It seems that it was. Uh, were they thieves and robbers? Well, maybe not. <laughs> okay, It certainly wasn't... Uh, at this point, it wasn't a profession that people aspired to, okay? Uh, it, it doesn't seem. Depends on who you read, all right? But it's very interesting, the points that were made to me when I was reading this. Um, think about it. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. One of the prophets, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, one of the prophets was a shepherd. Um, there was a lot of shepherding going on in, in, in profession of shepherding. Why did God choose the shepherds to give God's glory to them? I don't know. They certainly weren't certainly deserving of it, probably, just like we wouldn't have been deserving of it had we been there, no matter what profession that we were in. We wouldn't have expected it to be the shepherds, probably. We would have expected it to be in the palace or someplace in high you know, some, you know, royalty. I mean, this is the king being born, right? You would have expected that birth announcement to be given to, uh, you know, some, some higher class people. Now, it does. It does eventually get to the Magi. Uh, they certainly were, you know, well-to-do. They were wealthy. Um, probably not three of them. Just three gifts. Um, but probably hundreds of them traveling together in a band. I mean, it could have been as many as 200 um, that uh, traveled to see Jesus at the house about a year later. Um, but here, here, here is the announcement. Let's go back to the, uh, our scene two, or scene three. All right. The announcers, the angels, the faithful proclamation displaying the glory of God. Then the shepherds, on their part, um, I entitled this, A Fearful But Fact-Finding Experience. <laughs> I mean, fearful, but 
fact-finding. They wanted to actually see this baby. I mean, they got talking about it, and they said, you know what? Our sheep are important, but <laughs> um, maybe we should just maybe, I don't know, maybe one of them had to stay behind. I don't know. Um, maybe they brought their sheep with them, some of them. I don't know. We don't know. You, you see pictures of the sheep on lambs, or maybe there was already sheep in the, in the, in the stable uh, or in the cave, um, perhaps. But uh, they are on a fact-finding mission. They are fact-finding, and they this is displaying the salvation of God. Oh, I just love it. Fearful, but fact-finding experience displaying the salvation of God. A man by the name of Eric Sawyer calls the manger in his book, in his book, The Triumph of the Crucified. He says this about the manger. He says, the manger of all times was the turning point, and of all love, it was the highest point. And of all salvation, it was the starting point. And of all worship, it was the central point. To be born in a manger. Talk about humble beginnings. Laid in a manger. And this was the sign. This was what the, 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 the shepherds would know this is the right one. The baby's in a manger, laid in a manger, and wrapped in swaddling clothes. My understanding of the swaddling clothes is that these were small strips of cloth that, obviously, if you're in a manger, it's going to be maybe chilly. I mean, we don't know that it happened in December. <laughs> I can tell you. All right, but it was probably chilly no matter, it's always chilly at night, no matter where you are, when the, night, when the sun goes down. Um, and so they would wrap their, their infants in, in, in these strips of cloth to hold the heat in, right? To hold the heat in. Um, um, a picture there of what would take place later on, perhaps, when Jesus was buried and he was wrapped. It's very possible that that's the picture that's taking place here. So talk about being born to die and be thinking about that from the very beginning. Um, wrapped in the swaddling clothes, very possible. A picture of the way that they would wrap, embalm uh, people when they died. Um, so, this is the scene three. We go to scene four. Let me just give you my points. We can't talk about them for very long. Scene four is that this is the Magi journey. Uh, took a long period of time when that star arose and then they it, 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 did, it did come back. I remember going to sit there and you watch the stars a what is it plant planetarium i remember going to a planetarium as a kid around christmas time and they talked about this star and magi i don't know if they were making this up or they were telling the true thing i don't know what i i, I, I can't remember the full point uh was there something that took place astronomically apparently there was maybe there's records of that in some places um, we know this was a special, a special star. The star moved, right? So that it was right where they needed to be. When they saw the star, they knew it was right over the place where Jesus was, uh, in that, in that house. Years later, a year later at least. All right? So, the journey of the Magi. These were the following seekers displaying the providence and protection of God. They certainly were following what God was saying. This is God's providence guiding them, leading them along. But then the protection of God. Remember, they had another vision before they left. Don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him. Don't tell him where this baby is. And then along, just a few verses later, the next verses later, Joseph receives the dream, go down to Egypt. Of course, that was the fulfilled prophecy, too, that his son would be coming out of Egypt, right? But uh, speaking there not only of Jesus, but also of Israel coming out of Egypt. Um, but the, the providence and protection of God being on display here. And then uh, scene five, the temple revelation, where these two older folks that were waiting for God's salvation 
God promises them the opportunity, or at least one of them, he promises that they're going to see the Messiah before they die. I, I, I call this, these are faithful waiters displaying the personal care of God. I mean, how can you see this any other way? Why would God do this to two particular people? God has personal care for individual people. That is on display. God's personal care for us, folks. We can revel in that. God knows you. He has a personal care for you. He knows your concerns. You're not just one of many, and he's kind of forgotten about you. You live down there. You live down here in where, or you go to church in where, little small town, hardly known. You live in this back road somewhere. Nobody knows your name. personal care for us each one of us and he just he, and that's on display here in scene number five well there's many other scenes that we could talk about but our time is gone well gone i trust that uh that you'll with fresh eyes look at these stories and don't i don't say read into them but certainly meditate on so that you'll see God's character being displayed here. We serve a God of the impossible. And there are so many impossible things that have come together at this point, but, but in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those under the law. And that's us today. Let's pray together. God, with gratitude, we come to you. We're thankful for what you've given to us in Scripture to remind us and of your love for us. We're thankful for these stories. We're thankful for the way that you've put them together through Matthew, through Mark, and some John, and even the Old Testament prophecies that prophesied your birth. We're thankful that you certainly are a God of the impossible. You can fulfill scripture. It may take taxing the whole world to get the two people to the right spot at the right time. But Lord, you can do it. And you have done it. And Lord, we know you can do things impossible, seemingly impossible for us, but they're possible with you. And so Lord, we pray that as we trust you, even during this time of Christmas, when we think about the salvation procured through your son, who was born to die, Lord, we, we come with grateful hearts. Help us, Lord, to show that gratitude in the sense that we are willing to be as the shepherds, telling everybody who will listen, whether they believe us or not, we have a message to tell. Help us to be faithful with that message, proclaiming it, best we can 